Hello, and welcome to this week's podcast presented by Freedom Life Church. We hope you find today's message uplifting and encouraging as we dive into God's Word together. If you need any information about our church or this message, please go to wearefreedomlife.com. Now let's get right into it. Isn't it true that there is no tomorrow promised to any one of us? Isn't that right? Um, there's still a pad running back here. If you guys can just fade that out. But I appreciate the background music. But we're going to go into the Word of God here this morning. And we've been in this series, The Sun and the Scriptures. And uh, I don't know how many of you guys just have been kind of uh, looking at this series and with the set of eyes that I have been as I've been kind of preparing. And uh, Sammy shared the word beautifully last week. Um, I opened up the series a few weeks ago. And the idea of the sun and the scriptures is a thought that we wanted to have for the entire month of July. As we looked at how Jesus approached the scriptures and how we can learn from that. How many know that we can learn from the things that Jesus does? right? Here's the problem. We say, I want to be like Jesus, but what we don't, what we fail to sometimes realize is that in order to be like Jesus, we have to go through what Jesus went through. And then some of you now are like, uh, maybe I don't want to be exactly like Jesus, but close. Minus the crucifixion, obviously, uh, but I don't know about you, but I would really want to experience the closeness of the Father that Jesus had. I want to experience the moment where I look at sin and I go, I can't touch that, God, because if I touch that, I lose touch with you. If I get close to that, I move further away from you. And is that the way we see sin? Or do we see it as a casual thing that I just need to, like a pesky neighbor that kind of keeps sweeping like their um, their dying leaves on my yard and you're like kind of dealing with it? Are you following what I'm saying? We kind of look at sin like an inconvenient thing that is in my life. How about... No, that's not what sin is. How about it? it's a direct rebellion against the God of our salvation? So when we look at Jesus, we have to understand that when he says no, no means no, and no doesn't mean maybe, and no doesn't mean later. No means no. And if he says don't touch that, then don't touch that. If he says stop living together when you're not married, if he says stop doing some of the things you're doing, if he says stop stop engaging in, in things that are impure, if he says stop doing some of these things, why do we think it's inconvenient when that's what he said? We look at scripture as an alternative in this life. We look at scripture as an option in this life. Listen, there is no life outside of the scriptures. 
We look at the scriptures as Jesus did, and Jesus used the Old Testament writings because he believed them to be divine in origin. He believed them to be inerrant in nature. He believed them to be obligatory in authority, and he used it as a true account of what God says is true. That's how Jesus viewed scripture. You see, if Jesus, the Son of God, held such a high view of Scripture, then his disciples must likewise do as he did. If Jesus, the perfect one, had a high view of Scripture, how much more so should we, the imperfect followers of the Father God? Now listen, I don't stand here in judgment Claiming to understand everything in scripture because I don't. How many ever read a scripture and said, huh? Yeah. Some of you like every day, every day, right? You read something, you're like, I need to talk to Pastor Tony about this one. Somebody help me. And listen, listen, can I tell you something? Don't just Google it and decide that that's the real thing. Contrary to popular opinion, Google doesn't have all the answers. It has an answer, but doesn't mean it's the right one. How many know what I'm talking about? Come on, if there's anything the last few years have told me is that don't believe everything you see on the internet. Come on, I get a lot more amens on that than anything I said today so far. So get off the Google train and get on the God train. Come on, somebody. The idea that somehow we take a look at some of these scriptures and somehow that they're like mere suggestions is appalling, I believe, to God. He gave us directives on how to live this life. And as we take a look this morning and consider what some would say, some would say the greatest sermon ever preached, found in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, I'm not going to be able to tackle in one morning <laughs> the entire Sermon on the Mount, but I do want to bring a message entitled Making Your Life Count. Making Your Life Count. What I want to do is I want to uncover how Jesus approached the scriptures on the Sermon on the Mount. And the first part of that, we have to realize that the Sermon on the Mount was the largest compilation of teaching of all the Gospels. How many Gospels are there? Four written Gospels, right? Can you name them? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the four Gospels that dictate the story of Jesus and tell the story of Jesus. But Matthew 5 was a, the, the largest compilation sermon Jesus had ever preached. And some would say the greatest sermon ever because um, there was so much content in that sermon that answered so many questions. Jesus, one of the things he really did well is he used words to help bring life to us. And help us to understand. One of the other things is that Jesus did was he used objects that were right next to us to, to teach us. 
right? When he was talking to a fisherman, he talked in fisherman's terms, right? And so on and so forth. When he talked to a physician, he talked to him in physician's terms. But, you know, a lot of times these disciples were, they were surrounded by sea and mountains. And, you know, one of the things I found very interesting as I, as I researched uh, this passage here, this Sermon on the Mount, right, as we call it, uh, realized, I realized one thing. Jesus did a lot with mountains. He did a lot with mountains. If you look throughout all of Scripture, he did a lot with mountains. And, and, and we have to understand that Jesus was very deliberate when he said specific things. He interacted with the Scriptures, but he used the things around them. In this case, on the mountains, Jesus would do things like pray and heal people on the mountains. But not only that, we find in Matthew 17, verse 1, that the transfiguration happened on the mountain. Also, we find that, that there were temptations on the mountain. Not the group. They weren't out there singing while he's praying. But there were genuine, bona fide temptations that took place where Jesus was tempted to go another direction. And in one of the greatest passages, Matthew 28, 16, where the great commission happened right by the mountain. And so we look at the mountain and we learn something that Jesus, when he taught, he always said, you have heard it was said. How many ever have read that? Where Jesus said, you have heard it was said, and then he would say, and then he was just, but I say to you, right? What was Jesus doing? What was Jesus trying to teach us? If we're going to talk about the Son of the Scriptures, we got to see how Jesus interacted with the Scriptures. And what he did was he stated fact. He said, here's what you've read. And then he would say, but I say to you, and right then was introducing, while he was using the Old Testament as a starting ground, he used the New Testament thoughts. He started to introduce these thoughts to this New Testament world, this New Testament church. And he would say to them, but I say to you, and then he would put on the teaching right there. And what was he doing? He was saying, it's time to shift because my arrival shifted everything. Are you getting what I'm saying? When Jesus came to the earth, he shifted everything. He changed how everything was done. Now, does that mean that he abolished the law? No, very clearly he didn't abolish the law. He fulfilled the law. He doesn't ignore the law, but he also doesn't fall under it. Okay. I'm just trying to find out who's nodding with me. Some of you are like, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Okay, yeah. Right? He didn't come. Listen, he didn't come to abolish the law like, hey, law, get out of here. It's not you anymore. No, he said, listen, you had your place in history. How many know the Ten Commandments can still serve us today? How many know that the Ten Commandments still serve us today? Because you'd be like, I'm under grace. I don't need the commandments anymore. You're going to need a lot more grace than some of us if you just completely ignore. You follow what I'm saying? 
So he didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. In other words, he said, listen, this, this uh, invoice is paid in full. How many feel really good when you pay a bill in full? Come on, revival. Some, look, look at this. Look at this. You hear this? I said some really cool things this morning. And some of y'all are like, yes, bills pay. Woo. Jesus. Right? <laughs> That's okay. I, I'll, take, I'll take your smiles and cheers. I'll take it however I can get it. But when you pay that bill and that invoice is paid, you're like, woo, one less thing off my shoulders, off my back, off my life, that heaviness, one less thing, right? Well, Jesus came to tell you, I have one thing I want to take off your shoulders, sin and death. You say, well, that's two things. Not when you experience it is one heavy weight. It's like a backpack with cinder blocks in it. Like my children carry to school. Some of them don't want to forget something, so they bring everything home. I'm serious. It's, it's, I'm like, why, are you, why is that so heavy? It's like, I don't want to forget anything. They walk around. I don't want to forget anything. That's a burden. Right? Can I tell you something? Sin and death was like that. Sin and death was like that burden that was on our back that we just could not get off. Jesus said, I come to set the captive free. Come on, somebody, I better shout. That's a good word right there. I came to set the captives free. That they don't have to live like that no more. You don't have to live with the burden and the weight. Sin and death. Gone. How do you make your life count? How do you make your life? But I say to you, Jesus says, you know what he's doing? He's introducing a fresh look at God. Because you see, a lot of us look at the Old Testament God as a different God. It's not. It's the same God. He just set up a new setup. He got a new setup going. Jesus came and he died so that you won't have sin and death on your back anymore. But some of y'all choose to wear it because you're so familiar with it. Because it's easy. It's because it's what you know. Can I tell you something? God didn't call you to have sin or death on your back. He called you to have life more abundantly. Come on, somebody say amen to that. What is discipleship? Well, we look at how Jesus approached discipleship, and here's a definition that I wanted to kind of introduce to you a little bit here. It's taking something we learn and expanding it into our daily life and applying it. Discipleship is, you can describe it in many different ways. I realize this is just one of many, but this is a really, uh, a really concise uh, option to look at discipleship. It's taking a truth and applying it to my life. If I am walking in discipleship, 
And if I'm walking with the Savior, Jesus, right, and I want his word to be my life, then I'm going to take that word and I'm going to apply it. I'm going to find a way to apply it in my life. Some scholars believe that when Jesus taught the Sermon on the Mount, that it was like days of preaching and, and, and it was a lot of time. But one thing I do know that no matter how much time this Sermon on the Mount was, the, the examples of time, one thing that we understand is that God was meant to, when, when, when Jesus walked this earth, God was making him and allowing him to bring life to us in position and authority and in money. Those things were not what Jesus was primarily looking for. You realize that? Jesus, when he walked the earth, he was not looking for position. He was not looking for authority. He was not looking for money. In fact, he was all the things that they didn't expect. He was everything they didn't expect and more. He wasn't the guy looking for position. He was the guy that washed everybody's feet. He wasn't the one looking for authority. He rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. He wasn't the one looking for money. He asked the disciples to come with them. And they were, none of them were like, do you have dental? Is it a PPO, HMO? Hold on to your horses. Because you got none of those. Come on, just follow me. What? Okay. And they followed him. Why? Because they saw something they never saw before. They saw a faithfulness to the Father and the plan of the mission. So important. How many realize that the faithfulness and obedience to God is the most, one of the most important things we could ever give God? Faithfulness to God. Isn't that good? Because this, what we have to realize is that the kingdom of God is not about position, authority, or money. You could have position, authority, and money on this earth, and when you stand before God, he's like, who are you? And you could try to, you know, be like, you know, I had the most gold on all of planet earth. God's like, really? I lined the streets with that. What else you got? You got concrete? No, I got gold. No, that's concrete here, my man. What else you got? You know what you really what you really need to have is obedience. That's worth more than silver or gold. And Jesus lived his life about the scriptures, about the Father's business. Listen. Listen to me and listen to me closely. If you want heartfelt commitment to Jesus, develop a heartfelt commitment to the scriptures. It's on the screen. Take a snapshot of it. Put it on your refrigerator. Do whatever you have to do. But if you want a heartfelt commitment to, to the God of your salvation, then start getting a heart for his word. Because Jesus was always introducing the word. And then he would bring the application of it to each of the people he brought to. Do you follow what I'm saying? 
He wasn't about his own business. He was about the Father's business. And so would you allow me for a moment to talk a little bit about the first part of the Sermon on the Mount here this morning? Because the Sermon on the Mount challenged the proud and the legalistic people of that day because he called them back to the original reason why they were doing what they were doing. Are you with me? He took the Old Testament prophets, he took their words and he said, and he would read them. Do you remember when he, when he stood in the temple and he read from the scroll of Isaiah? Do you remember that? And so as he stood there reading from the scroll of Isaiah, he was, he was, he was reinstituting how important the word of God is. Then he closes it and he says, today... This prophecy has been fulfilled in your ears. Come on, somebody. How many know that's like, hello? Oh, they loved it in the temple. They loved it. They were like, fantastic. The Messiah is here. Everybody, let's just bring a little, everybody bring a side dish. We're going to celebrate the Messiah. No. They got a side rock. They were just trying to stone him. They didn't welcome that. So what was he doing? He was saying, you have heard it said. Right? He was reading Isaiah. And then he would, tell, he would look to them and he said, now this has been fulfilled in your ears. Wow. They got really mad at him and stuff. They were like, how dare he? How many times did God tell you something and you were like, how dare he? dare he some of y'all won't admit it some of y'all won't admit it some will be like no I don't talk to Jesus like that I don't talk to God like that oh yeah you do everyone has said no once upon a time because you thought it was your flesh some of you indirectly told God no you were like no 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 I'm not doing that and he was like you were like no you can't come in you thought it's the devil. God's like, no, it's me. Do you know my voice anymore? Or are you so clouded by your own judgment? Because some of us pray prayers that we don't even want answers. We just, we just know what, God, what we think God wants from us, so we actually avoid the answer part. We just ask and then think we know the answer. And we're like, God's like, no, that's not what I said. And you're like, thanks, God. Appreciate it. He's like, wait, time out. I didn't, I didn't say that. Don't blame me when things go awry. You see, when we look at the Old Testament prophets who, who like Jesus, taught heartfelt devotion to God, loving others and caring for others mattered more to God than some religious observance at times. You say, well, no way, time out. What do you mean, Pastor Tony, that people are more important than the word of God? No, 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 no. What I'm saying is, why did Jesus heal on the Sabbath? Because people matter. They mattered more than the religious observance at that moment. What was he trying to teach us? That people always should be bigger than programs. Why do we stop doing some of the events that we were doing in the last few years? And now we've moved to serving people boxes of food. Because that is practical and that is loving people right where they are. 
we've forsaken doing a lot of big pro things that will thousands of people coming out or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I, can do, I can give you a couple different programs, but I won't. Some of the things that we used to do as a church. But, but, but one day, the Lord began to tell me, make it about the people, not the programs. So you know what? We had to evaluate, go back to the drawing board and say, what are we doing for us and what are we doing for God? Because some of the things that I felt like we were doing, we were doing good. But was it good or was it God? And sometimes they're not synonymous. So are you doing something good or are you doing something for God? They're not always synonymous. So let's look at for a moment, just Matthew chapter 5. We're going to look at seven verses and eight things that are in those verses. Are you ready? Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 10. Turn with me in your Bible. I'd like you to physically grab your Bible and turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. I'll wait. Please don't come to a series called The Sun and the Scriptures and not have Scriptures. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 through 10. Here we go. Now, you may have a different translation. I'm going to read out of the New International Version. Verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, if you allow me, this is a lot of text. I'm going to do a 10,000 feet above ground sea level view of this and, and kind of easy pass our way through some of these and kind of touch on it because I don't know if you realize the Beatitudes and how much content is in it. I can do a whole series on that alone. Okay, but what I do want to do is I do want to look at the highlights of these few verses. Are you ready? Number one, what we have to realize is our need for God. Look at verse three. Look at verse three. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We are poor in spirit because we acknowledge that we are not self sufficient. How many know that you cannot earn your way to heaven? We come into a childlike faith and we come to know Jesus because of a childlike faith and in that because we cannot in and of ourselves we are poor in the spirit. Naturally. We cannot afford heaven. That debt was too big. We can't get into heaven by, by what we can buy. How many know you can't buy your way to heaven? How many know you can't earn your way to heaven? How many know you can't nice your way into heaven? You can nice your way with someone and get on the good side, right? But that's not how it works to heaven. 
Jesus is not your homeboy. How many remember that phase back some years ago? I must confess, I had one of those shirts. Jesus is my homeboy. But just as a, just a bit of a, just, just, I was from New York. So a, a homeboy was a very common, just, that's my disclaimer. Is that all right? Chris, does that make sense? Like a little bit, a little bit. Like I, like I had a Jesus is my homeboy and I was like, yeah, Jesus is my homeboy. Then I realized, I don't like this anymore. He's more than my homeboy. Right? Some of you now picturing my shirt saying Jesus is my homeboy and you're still laughing in your head. There's 15-year-old Pastor Tony walking out. I didn't walk like that, by the way. That was weird. That, that was weird. Who walks like that? Jason, stop laughing. Listen, I, I only walked like that for six months. It was after a, a pogo incident in the... I don't want to talk about that. That just went south. Um, back to poor in spirit, please. Stop laughing. When we acknowledge the sovereignty of God, we realize that it is he who gives us access to the throne room of God, not our sufficiency, not our ability, not our genuine goodness, or our good looks. None of those things. None of those things give us access to the kingdom of God. So number one we need to realize. Come on say it with me. Realize your need for God. Number two. Mourning is a part of life. Y'all didn't want to hear that. But that's part two. Alright. The second part of this is realizing. That mourning is a part of life. Listen. The more clearly we see God, the more, the more we become aware of our imperfections. The more we become humbled in his presence, the more we feel the burden of our sin. The more we realize that we have sin in this world, the more we realize that people will die in their sin and we will mourn things. It, we're not escaping this, friends. Look at me. We're not escaping pain. God never called us. God never said you would. The best thing we could do is acknowledge him as the one who gives peace to the one in pain. The result is that we mourn our sins, we repent and genuine sorrow, and there are times in our lives we have to say, God, I'm sorry for this. And outright repent to God and say, Lord, I don't want to walk in mourning. I want to walk in joy. So you can be in mourning of something that happened to you or something that you did. Whatever it is, God is telling you we're all going to experience it. But what does he say about it? Does he say you are hopeless now that you have mourning? No. He says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. What does that mean? God is sending a comforter. To help you through your situation. And he's there for you. Number three. Live humble. Live humble. Verse five. We look at verse five and it simply said this. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. How many, how many know that we have to live humbly and realize that at any moment in time things could shift and change. 
you want to get cocky, real quickly things could change. Christian meekness is not weakness. You realize that? It's based on the humility expressed in the New Testament. And we realize that that meekness is actually inner strength. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is inner strength that comes out when it's necessary. Why is it that for some reason we think that turning the other cheek is a sign of weakness? By the way, that's not an instruction manual how to get beat up in the city. When Jesus said turn the other cheek, he's showing you be stronger than the opposition. Live above everybody else's standard. When he says turn the other cheek, he says move from physical strength to inner strength. He's trying to tell you how to live internally, not just externally. Because we react externally to the things around us all the time. And God is saying you can't live this Christian life externally. You have to start on the inside. So what is he saying? When he's saying turn the other cheek, he's saying work something out so deep inside of you that what happens in the physical doesn't matter as much. Is this, is this making sense? He's not telling you to be abused. He's not allowing you to be a walking, uh, a welcome mat or a mat to be stepped on. You know what he's saying? He's saying shift your strength from the outside to the inside because the inside is what I'm going to judge. And when he judges that inside, that meekness is going to come out. Actually, that meekness kills physical weakness. Because when you can stand there and go, say what you got to say about me. I'm not going to sit here and defend myself all day. I got better things to do with my time. I got better things to do with my time than to deal with your mess. I'm not going to respond to you. I'm not going to reply to you. I'm not going to even give you the time of day. Because, listen, if I got, got $10,000 in my account, and I lose a dollar, how many know I'm not going to freak out? I'm not going to give someone one single second of my time that they don't deserve. You got plenty of minutes and hours in a day. Utilize them for the glory of God. Don't give anybody, especially the enemy, another second of your time. Some people gave him all of 2020. 2021. Some of them spilled into 2022. Some people are still limping through 2023. I tell you what, the enemy had enough of my time. I'm not giving them another second. Another second. I'm not living in fear. I'm not living in, I'm not, I'm going to live humble and holy before God. How many is with me? Who's with me? Who's with me? Holy and humble before my God. Number four, live hungry. Live hungry. Come on, somebody. Christ gave himself to the soul of those who hunger. He gave, he gave himself to the person that said, whoever hungers for me, when the world no longer has any hold on us, he says, all you should seek is me. Someone said this, the key to Christian living is a thirst and a hunger for God.
And the one of and, and one of the main reasons people do not understand or experience the sovereignty of grace and the way it works through the awakening of the sovereign joy is that their hunger and their thirst for God is so small. There's some people that don't experience hunger and thirst because their expectation of God is so small. You expect more from the world than you expect from God. Shame on us if we expect more from the enemy than we do our own God. Somebody say, live hungry. Live hungry. And so man hungers for material food. But what we should really understand is that true believers, true disciples, hunger for the things that are greater. So what did he say about that? He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. That's a promise, friends. For they will be filled. That's a good promise right there. I'm going to live on that one. Number five, live in mercy. Live in mercy. We look at verse seven. It simply says this, blessed are the merciful for they should be shown mercy. How many realize that God was merciful to us? As we yield our will to God and are filled with divine life, we realize that we draw closer to him. But the closer we draw to him, the more we realize that we have been forgiven much. Do you guys realize that? The closer you get to God, the more you should realize God has forgiven. Case in point, you ever seen something from a distance and you said, that looks okay. And then you get closer, and then you look at it and go, wow, I didn't see that. And then you get closer, and you're like, oh. For some of you, it's a person. I don't know. But let's just say, let's just say, <laughs> it better not be a mirror, though that may happen. <laughs> Why you got to shout me out like that? So. So you get close and you go, oh, there's a blemish. Or, or, or let's say, for instance, you look at a car and it looks really nice from a distance. Then you get close and you realize there's chips of paint in the front of my car. Where did that come from? Right? You didn't see it from a distance, but it was there. Why? Because the closer you get to the object, the more you realize imperfections. And the closer I get to God, the more closer I understand my imperfections. Okay, I'll leave it there. The more we forgive others, the more, uh, the more we receive forgiveness. Verse, uh, let's go to verse 8 and number 6. Right, number 6 is walk with a pure heart. With Christ living in us. How many know his righteousness cleanses us? Right? His righteousness cleans us. Not our own righteousness. And let, me, let me fast forward through some of this because we show mercy because God has shown mercy to us. But listen, watch this. What we have to understand is that that pure heart that he's asking for, that pure heart, we will see the face of God one day. And it's because we have practice of pure heart. Every day of your life, is another practicing opportunity to stand before God. We will see the face of God 
one day. But we also have to realize that people see the face of God through our actions and our pure heart. Every person you meet and you tell them you're a Christian, you know what they're doing? They're dissecting after you tell them you're a Christian. They're diagnosing. Hello, hello. You ever you ever took your car in for a diagnosis and they then you, it comes? It looked ran. It ran well. It ran well. Then you took it in and they told you six things that's wrong with it, totaling twenty six hundred dollars and forty eight cents. And you're going, but it ran so well, right? Why? Because somebody took a deeper look at it. You know what? The moment you say I'm a believer, the world is diagnosing now. Is everything they're saying match up to what they're doing? I don't know about you, but those diagnostic checks can be scary. I'm not just talking about the car ones because that's scary too. But when I stand before God, guess what he's going to do a diagnostic of? My heart. Where were you? What were you doing? Last two thoughts. Number, uh, number seven is verse nine. And it said this. Verse nine, blessed are the peacemakers. For they will be called children of God. Walk in peace. There's a lot of people walking in a whole lot of mess today. We're living in an angry world. How many know we're living in an angry world right now? Peace is not really a quick option. And people are angry just because they feel like they have the right to be. And they'll hurt other people just because they feel like they deserve it. That's not okay with God. and That's not okay with me. As we live our lives, we live as to the Prince of Peace. He gives us a desire to share this hope. And first, uh, John, John chapter 1 verse 12, but to all who receive him, who, who believe in his name, he gave them the power to become children of God. This doesn't mean that every person walking the earth is a child of God. I said this before and I'm going to make this crystal clear to you. Just because you walk this earth doesn't mean you're a child of God. It's those who believe that are made sons and daughters of God. If you walk this earth and you don't know Jesus, you're a creation of God. God bless you. He created you in his image. Come to him. But you're not a child of the living God until you give your life to him. That's the real gospel. That's the gospel truth. And Amen. That's the gospel truth. You need to hear that. And people around you need to hear that. Because we're living in a world that wants to just say love is love and love who you want and do what you want and, and, and everything is love and love and love and children's love and God is love. And, and Well, let me tell you something. God is love, but he's loving enough to be just. He loved you enough to send his son and give you life abundantly. Amen. Last but not least, number eight, expect persecution. I left it last. Well, I didn't. Jesus did. He did it in verse 10. But Listen, if seasoning has no flavor, it has no value. If believers make no effort, we make no effect to this world. We ourselves render ourselves useless. So what I'm saying to you is we're going we're gonna to go into this world. We're going to walk 
and we're going to live this life the way God called us to live. And there will be people that don't like you just because you know who Jesus is. And you got to be okay with them saying what they're going to say and calling you what they're going to call you. I don't like it either. But I know one thing is for sure. There's nothing that I've went through that tops what Jesus went through. So I'm not going to complain. When we live God's plan for our lives, we have to realize that there may be some injustices that happen. I was just watching this morning as I was getting around how they were talking about people that were outside uh, during um, COVID or whatnot, and they were singing songs outside, separate from everybody, singing songs outside, and they were being arrested, worshipers. And now they're turning around saying, we shouldn't have done that. And the city is now apologizing to these people that were arrested. And I'm looking at that going, we shouldn't have got there in the first place. But be that as it may, that's just the beginning, friend. That's just the beginning. We have to realize that when we respond to our Savior, people won't like us just because we're directly associated to him. So I'm telling you right now, here's my thought. Make your life count. Make your life count. Whatever you do, make your life count. Why? Because complacency is a deadly foe. Real soft, guys. Complacency is a deadly foe of all spiritual growth. Do you realize that? Do you realize that when you're complacent in your faith, that is the thing that stunts your spiritual growth? Everyone look at me right here because some of you are in, like you're, you're, you're thinking about lunch or something. Look look right here. Look right here. Now I'm, I'm being honest. That the people just look in all the directions. Look right here. I want to tell you something. Whatever you do, make your life count. Make this moment count. Because we're living in a world that doesn't want to count anything. They want to do what they want to do. They don't want to make anything count. Let me just live my life the way I want to live it. And friends, those people are in for a rude awakening when Jesus comes back again. I don't say that with like, yay. I say that with humble fear. That there may be people I know and love that would have not chose Jesus. Show of hands all across this room. How many of you know somebody that doesn't know Jesus? Okay. If you somehow don't know somebody who doesn't know Jesus, I really wonder what circle you're in. Because, wow, there's so many lost people out there that need to know this gospel. And guess what? You may be the one key that's going to unlock that eternity for someone on the positive way. That eternity in heaven. But you got to understand that there is a God. Give me all the house lights, please. You have to understand something. That I just touched on a few verses of this sermon on the mount and this is just the beginning that he's talking to us 
But he gave us so much insight as to how we're supposed to handle people. This world is desperately searching for honest gospel. A real gospel. And it should never be considered that everyone has tried the gospel and that it was it left them void but what it should be saying what should what it should be said about the gospel is that i tried it and everything about it was right i'm the one with the voids i'm the one with the needs i'm the one that's left broken but because of this book right here we have life abundantly Amen. We have life abundantly. Somebody give God praise for the word of God today. So when I talk about the sun and I talk about the scriptures, I need us to understand that, that thought real simply. Life is in his word. And if, if it's good enough for Jesus to read, it should be good enough for us to read and dissect and take it into our lives. Amen? Can I invite you right where you are to bow your heads right where you are? If you're live online, would you bow your heads right where you are? If you're here in this room, bow your heads right where you are. And I just want to pray a prayer over you. Father, I pray right now for every person at the sound of my voice. I pray, God, that they would deliberately be encouraged to long after you, God. That, 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 Lord God, that there may be times where in their faith they may be discouraged, but they stand strong. Father, I pray that they realize their need for you. I pray that they would mourn like they're supposed to, but stand because joy comes in the morning. Lord, I thank you that, Lord God, you called us to live humble, and I pray that they too would live humble, that they would live hungry, that they would live in mercy, that they would walk with a pure heart, but they'd also walk in peace. And Lord God, whatever they do, may they always expect persecution because you told us to. Lord, help them Help us all to live life in a way that is honoring to you. Today, make our life count in Jesus' name. I want you to say this with me, really. Just say this to yourself. I want to make my life count. And I want you to say this prayer to the Lord with me right now. Say, Jesus Make my life count for the glory of your name. 